Hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I'm Will Anderson from the title of the podcast. I'm going to keep this intro really quick because anything that I say right now in the middle of what we're going through as a world, it all just changes so quickly. So uh, it's been actually a pleasure to have some podcasts up my sleeve because I don't even know what I would ask people on the podcast at the moment. The world has completely changed and this is a podcast that asks people what they think is important in the world and what they think life is all about. And I think we're currently in the middle of something that is going to change a lot of the answers to those questions. So I'm not going to get bogged down in that right now. I will come back to that at another time. I will say to everybody though, just be safe. Um, Let's support those who have to be on the front line of this, whether they be the doctors, the nurses, the emergency workers, the people on the front line at the shops that need to remain open, the people working the checkout at the, you know, the supermarket and the grocery store, everybody who needs to be out there doing it for the rest of us right now. The best thing we can do is stay the fuck at home, stay the fuck at home and keep out of their way and do what we can to stop spreading this disease and support those who have to be out and about so if you're someone who is out and about and you're listening to this as a bit of relief well thank you for your service and what you're doing at the moment we hope you know that we genuinely appreciate it and if you're somebody who's just passing the time listening to this while you're in quarantine well fuck you know what you're doing a good job too if you're staying out of the way of people that is also to be applauded you're doing what you can in this situation uh i don't know what's this podcast is going to sound like or be like when all this is over and hopefully at some stage all this will be over but we've got to imagine there's a possibility it still gets worse before it gets better and the ongoing effects of what we're going through now the ramifications of those will be felt by people whose jobs don't come back whose lives are never the same again i don't want to get bogged down in all that right now because i feel like while you're in the uh, in the middle of it it's not necessarily the time for proper reflections on it that's why I'm glad I have these episodes. These episodes, there's still three or four more that I had recorded before all this happened. So you get to go back to a world uh, where you don't have to think about COVID-19 every day of your life and what the ramifications will be for your life and your job and everything else, your health. So take this as a little holiday. Uh, There's still a little month of holidays. Um, And then at the end of that, I guess we'll decide what the future of the podcast is and how we go forward from here having these sort of conversations and what they will sound like and what they will look like i mean you know these my one policy with this podcast has always been that i only do the interviews in person one-on-one that is part of creating the intimacy for these conversations is to be able to look the person in the eye sense their body language you know have a proper conversation with them but A month from now when I run out of episodes, are we going to be in a position where I can sit with somebody face-to-face? Probably not, I'd imagine, still at this stage. So what does that mean for the podcast? Again, these are minor problems in the grand scheme of the world. So we'll work our way through that and I'll have a think about that over the next month and how I'm going to deal with that. Uh, But luckily, we still have a bunch of really cool episodes up the sleeve and you can have a little holiday from the problems of right now and listen back to a different time and still get a bunch of wisdom out of it. So Susie Youssef is today's guest. I love Susie Youssef. She's a brilliant comedian, performer, improviser, all sorts of things. And we had a 
an excellent chat. She was in Melbourne doing a play at the MTC. You can hear the little mini episode we did all about that play if you enjoy this one, if you haven't heard it yet. And then we uh, got down to just having a good old-fashioned chat and having a really good time. So Susie Yusuf is my guest today. If you like Susie's episode, make sure that you tweet about it, Facebook message it, post it on Instagram, wherever you are, do a little TikTok about it. I don't know how any of these young people things work, but uh, if you could spread the word, that is always appreciated. Rate it, spread it, tell people about it. And uh, if you like this podcast, this podcast is now officially my job. I don't take a wage from this podcast. I've never taken any money from this podcast, but I have people that I pay, uh, you know, uh, Podcast Mike, who helps produce this uh, podcast and book guests and put it all together, James Fosdyke, who does all the original art. So we are trying to uh, pay them appropriately right through this time. So the best way for me to have some money to do that is for you to join our Patreon, patreon.com slash willosophy, W-I-L-O-S-O-P-H-Y. You can support for as little as a dollar a month. Now, I understand right now for some people, even a dollar a month is too much. And I certainly am not putting my hand out um, to ask anyone who cannot afford it to do it right now. But if you have enjoyed this podcast over the last six years and you feel like you have got something out of it, and uh, previously you're like, ah, fuck Will Anderson. He doesn't really need my help. He's doing fine. He's got plenty of other jobs. Totally fair enough. I am absolutely fine with that. Well, it turns out now I don't. I'm unemployed uh, for the next six months uh, at this stage. And uh, so this is, I guess, my income. So if you wanted to join up to the Patreon page and donate as little as a dollar a month, I am going to try to provide some extra bonus content to go up there to, you know, give people some value for joining up and signing up and helping me keep this podcast going so if you like it and you enjoy it and you got a buck to spare and i understand that you know maybe right now you don't and that's absolutely fine as well but if you do uh, patreon.com slash philosophy is the place to go for that i'm not going to plug any shows because i don't have any shows uh, but uh please enjoy this chat with Susie yusuf And welcome to Willosophy with Will Anderson. I am Will Anderson from the title of the podcast. This is how the podcast starts. I ask my guests who they are. So who are you? Uh, I'm Susie Yusuf. Hello, Susie Yusuf. Hello. Um, uh, do you have a, if I was going to ask you to then describe yourself further, what would you say? Uh, I would say that I'm a comedian, but I would make a face as I'm doing it. You did? Yeah. Even though you told me you were going to make a face, <laughs> you also still made the, the face. At the same time. Yeah. Yeah. I th- Why? What's the face? Uh, it's We've spoken about it. It's imposter syndrome, mm. a feeling like at, um, at any one time I am both hoping to be funny and pretty sure that I'm not mm. at all, ever. Mm. <laughs> That's the terrifying realisation. Do you think that that feeling is unusual like in your perception when you're feeling like that do you look at other performers and think oh look at them they're so confident and they've got their shit together and I don't feel like that or do you recognize that the thing that you are feeling is probably the thing that all the people around you are also feeling I'm friends with enough comedians to know that this is not abnormal yeah okay yeah we're all a little bit (laughs) Messed up. Yeah, abnormal is normal in the comedy yeah, world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Being normal is abnormal. Yeah, that's a problem. Yeah, like, Which is also good. And then I'm like, why's oh, he got, damn, why's he got that? <laughs> <laughs> no, so I, yeah, I, I, um, 
I know that every time something happens where reverence or mm. is involved, I, I'm like, oh, how can I play up? Okay. How can I do this? And I feel like that's the, a sign of, of a comedian in a way. Did you always have that in you? Because yes. I absolutely agree with you. If yeah. I would describe one thing that made me think that when I was young I was going to be a comedian was natural suspicion of unearned authority. Oh, yes, yeah, always. Anything, anytime anything is a bit too serious and you can't, yep. and no one can explain to you why it needs to be. Yep. Any convention, then, I'm like, how do yeah, we break this? Yeah, how yeah. Do we, how, yeah. Whether I do it or not, you know, I was also raised in a Catholic household, so I often behaved myself, mm-hmm. but my brain was ticking over at a million miles an hour going, I am pretty sure if I said this now it would get a laugh so um how young do you remember discovering that my dad tells me that he um he had a 40th birthday party and he used to work for an italian millionaire and his wife the italian millionaire's wife didn't speak much english but apparently i took it upon myself to entertain her for the 40th throughout the 40th birthday party and i would have been about six years old yeah and you just were like, I'm going to entertain this woman who does not understand. No, because she just I had a smile ca- on I her have face a the whole time. <laughs> I had a captive audience who genuinely didn't understand what I was saying, but had this huge smile on her face. So I kept talking. It's like, I'm killing. Yeah. I'm like, this is great. She keeps clapping and laughing and smiling at me. She hasn't said a word. <laughs> now that I think about it, that's so messed up, that poor woman. But yeah. Um, well, uh, you know, uh, that is very early on. Yeah. But you don't have a memory of that you have a parental but telling you that yeah memory. yeah i have one of those which is when i'm i think i was about four or something my parents tell this story of my dad was a very good cricketer mm. if he'd had a dream for me okay um are you it, any good then no okay but to play sport at the highest level my sister and i were once watching the olympics with my dad <laughs> and because uh, my dad only ever watches sports news and well, basically sports and news on television. Yeah. That's basically all that he ever watches. Like, I think he used to watch Blue Healers, but I think he thought it was the Flying Doctors <laughs> and he just thought they'd stop flying planes and started solving crimes. He oh, man. He wasn't paying a lot of attention to no. anything other than sport and news. And we were watching the Olympics with him one night and we said to Dad, we said, would you be more proud of us if we were Olympic swimmers? And my dad just went, yes. <laughs> End of conversation. <laughs> Turns off the TV, walks out into the yard. But I was—he was playing a cricket tournament um, up here in uh, uh, in Melbourne and uh, country, country Victoria, quite mm. high level. And he said that after the game, I stood like on the cricketers, you know, coffin where they keep their equipment in the mm. middle of all the players in the dressing room and did all the umpiring signals, like you know, you're out and yeah, six yeah. and four and all this. And at the time, you was like so excited that I was so interested in cricket. But in retrospect, I was just interested in showing off in front of a captive audience. <laughs> Of people who could. Yep, which was they're so closely aligned. They really are. We were a little bit obsessed with the West Indies cricket team in the late oh. 90s, my sisters and I. Okay. Um, Why? In uh, particular? Th- what was it that captivated you? They were great cricketers. They were great what, cricketers. But what was it that captivated you about the West Indian cricket team? Um, they were pretty hot. Mm. They were super hot. Brian Lara, Kurtley Ambrose, mm. they were really hot dudes and they were very, very good. And I guess we bonded with dad for the period of time that they were really great Mm. Um, and we were a bit competitive so I think one of my sisters decided to go for the Australian team and the other three were like well we go for the West Indies now like that's just how it has to be and we have this old Tetris game where all of the um, the, the the high scoreboard is all of our names, but with the, the surnames of West Indies cricketers because we just became that like obsessed with them. 
I don't know why that came up. Oh, no, I, I, I love this because, okay, so it's, I'm getting a sense of, so where are you growing up? Where is all this happening? We're in uh, Western Sydney. Yeah. And we lived in a cul-de-sac. I was born in a, in a house that my grandfather built in a cul-de-sac and we spent a lot of time with my cousins who live next door riding bikes around the cul-de-sac mm. or watching cricket. Right. Yeah. But cricket, because cricket is, so your background is... Lebanese. Yeah. Yeah. And is cricket like, uh, was that an Australian... Adoption is that what that was? Because it's not culturally. It's not culturally. You don't hear no. about the powerhouse Lebanese cricket team. You don't, but it's an underground competition, and I can't talk about it. Um, <laughs> no, I'm the worst Lebanese person there is. We like we weren't a very. We didn't really hang out with. You know, we had a huge extended family, but yeah. as far as the Lebanese community in Australia goes, we didn't spend heaps of time. Like, I think my older sisters did. But there's a bit of a divide because there's six of us, so they're growing up in the 80s and I'm growing up in the 90s and it was just a bit different. Um, but my cousins were obsessed with cricket and they played a lot of backyard cricket and we had a cul-de-sac to play cricket in. It was just the perfect place to do it. But culturally, so because often you hear about, because so grandfather built the house. Yep. Was grandfather first generation who was out here or was there people before that as well? No, no, no. He's, he moved out. So yeah. he came out in the mid 50s, yeah. early 50s um, and was a builder. Mm. And so there's a bunch of like kind of um, sand colored brick apartment buildings all through Western Sydney that he's built. And then he, he had a stint up um, in, on the central coast. He, it's it's a sad story. I probably shouldn't tell it. My mum and dad hated going up the central coast every weekend because my grandfather moved up there and, and built a caravan park, but we loved it. We were obsessed with it um, because they had a corner store and you could eat whatever you wanted. Like you could go in every time you went to the corner store and just buy, like not, you didn't have to buy anything. You just grab something off the shelf and kind of kissed my grandmother and left. It was right. the best. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, so I don't know. I think, yeah, we weren't like a, I guess... There's a, there's a Lebanese soccer team. No, but we yeah we were cricket kids. Yeah, but you, so I'm I guess the question I'm you know asking more generally is the, uh, about connection to the community. Yeah. So it wasn't a family that was like here is like you know this culture that you've come from. You need to stay connected to this culture. Oh, there was a bit of that. There definitely was a bit of that. I think it comes down to my parents' personalities mm. though. My dad's a really social human who like wanted us to be connected to our culture, and Mum did in a way, but she's severely introverted, and so when it came to doing anything social she wasn't really up to it um and so we and and when you've got six kids and you're not particularly well off there's enough people to socialize with in your own house like why would you right. bother leaving <laughs> yeah we don't need to outsource this no and this the last fine. thing we need is you all having your individual groups because yeah, this is already a nightmare <laughs> Logistically, yeah, we exactly. had people for you to hang out with yeah we've already done it we've already made you don't need to eat team. out when we've provided this at home exactly Mike we had a van a white Irvan, and dad took out the center seats and turned them around so that we were facing each other as we drove anywhere oh now is that a highly illegal I was, well yes definitely yeah. highly illegal <laughs> yeah. no, no doubt about that but secondly is that good or bad like is that does that mean that you bond better as a family because you can look each other in the eye and or does that lead to more sort of family oh, drama way more family drama yeah. it's horrendous we were awful to each other until we turned a certain age like we fought endlessly we were so competitive and so mean. Girls are horrible to each other growing up. So is it all girls? Yeah. 
Six girls. Six girls. Oh, yeah. shut up. Yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Is there six girls because they kept trying to get a boy? Or Almost is there just definitely. Six- yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think that if mum hadn't had <laughs> quite a horrendous birth with my last sister, they'd still be going. It, it's a big thing in Lebanese culture to have a boy to carry right. on the name and uh, all of that. And I joke with mum and dad that I'll never change my name and I'll never get married and mm-hmm. then the name will last forever. And they're like, you also probably won't have children. And I'm like, oh, I could. You uh, never know. Yeah. <laughs> thanks. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks, thanks for your confidence. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think that they were, I think as well, it just, it's a contraception thing. They're right. Catholics and they never, yeah, yeah it was just going to keep happening. Uh, yeah. Okay. So yeah. six in the house, but yeah. the, the sixth one came five years after you. Yeah. Um, so you were the baby of the family for, for quite a while. I think I continue to be the baby of the family in many Oh, is that right? Yeah. I think they, they all kind of look out for me a little bit. What sort of, I mean, and I'm not asking for you to tell other people's stories, but what sort of careers have they found themselves in? Is there a wide range? Or yeah, is there... there is. There's, um, I'm the only one that does anything in kind of the yeah. arts. Um, there's a chef and a lawyer and a, a learning technologist. Oh, That's a okay. thing that exists. I and don't know what that is. on a business card somewhere. Okay. She's very smart. Yeah. Um, and a, like, yeah, they're they're very they're yeah wide ranging. They're wide ranging, smart, effective humans. Okay. Uh, yeah, and I really I I love them a lot. Like we get along very well now. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But I mean that's good though. Like to yeah. be able to have that, and I mean also to have five other people in your life. Oh yeah. You can now you know. So what's the age difference between you and the eldest? Uh, ten years. Oh, ten years. So yeah. you really were. Yeah, we're only a couple of years apart. Yeah, okay. The thing that gets complicated now is the WhatsApp groups mm. because the combinations of sisters. There's one that's all the sisters, mm. and then there's one that's the middle three. Okay. <laughs> they probably don't know this. I hope they don't <laughs> listen to podcasts. I don't know if they do. Um, but there's lots of combinations, and there has been that you know sending the wrong message to the wrong sisters group. Yeah. It takes a little bit of negotiating. Yeah. yeah. That will get a little complicated. Oh yeah. So what sort of opportunities you know? Like what, what was the way that you would describe your childhood? Like, was it, you know, were you very happy? Did you feel like it was a kind of big extended family or was there like, was it tough? I mean, six kids, like you said, like, mm. you know, I mean, you know, normal jobs, good jobs, but like not, you know, you know not so much money that like you oh, know, yeah. six kids isn't a struggle, I imagine. I don't think that I was aware of how that financially it was a bit rough. I I wasn't aware until much later Mm. in life that we were probably not, we didn't have very much money. Um, Dad was the sole breadwinner and mum did go out to work a little bit later on when I was a bit older. But um, I, I feel like I have happy memories of going out to parks a lot, like to, to doing things that aren't, that don't necessarily cost, cost money. money. Um, and I hear a lot of my friends talk about trips when they were younger. Mm. And I was like, oh yeah, like up the coast. And they're like, yeah. no, no, like to Paris. And I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> um, I have no, we didn't get on a plane. Like it wasn't really like that. We did go to Tasmania actually. Um, that was the only ocean that we crossed in a plane when I was a kid. And we went there because mom and dad honeymooned in Tasmania and they wanted to take us back there, which I was like, I don't really need to know anything about that part of your lives. Yeah, I think um, my mom and dad honeymooned in Mildura. Yeah, so, yeah. So I don't think they even made it technically across the border. No. <laughs> and it was just like, I think at the time honeymoons were less of a thing. You didn't go for very long and you stayed pretty close because you were supposed to get pregnant immediately. And that was it, which they did. Um, I was a pretty dark, like a bit of a dark child mm. though. I was a little oh, bit yeah. obsessed with death. I have a lot of memories of going to funerals mm. as kids. 
Um, and ones it, you're invited to. Or just, just, <laughs> Come on, kids, we've got nothing else to do. Another free outing. <laughs> <laughs> if you're lucky, we'll sneak into the wake. Just eat as much as you can, as quick as you can before they discover it. Susan, bring your backpack. Fill it up. <laughs> Didn't know um, Gary had any Lebanese friends. <laughs> um, definitely ones that we were invited to, but I feel like that's a part of early days growing up, knowing a lot of people, having a big extended family, and just it's. Yeah, in Lebanese culture, it is quite. It's you know they, they have a thing called the mercy meal, which is a huge like. It's not just a finger sandwich, finger like hmm. finger sandwiches. Yeah. Why did that sound weird in my no, head? I think it's because fingering is now such a. <laughs> it's a tough word when you say finger. Yeah. You're like, finger sandwiches. It sounds like, like something you get arrested for. There was it a does. guy. There was a guy out the back of the racist <laughs> fingering sandwiches. Yep, that's yep. exactly why that happened. Um, yeah, it was. It's a full meal. Mm. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> uh, well, no, so the mercy. What did you call it? The, uh, the mercy meal. The so mercy was, meal. Yeah. So I've got a lot of memories of going to these big, these huge halls with like mm. kind of five hundred people yeah. type funerals. Um, I'm sure there were happier things in my childhood, but that just stands out. And were a, a, you obsessed by other sorts of death, like animal death, insect death, like you know? You weren't one of those kids who was like you know putting a spider in a jar to see no, what happened or no, anything no, no, like that. No, 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 not at all. I've always had a bit of a fascination with spiders, though, but not not their deaths at all. Just just human deaths, and just a, a little bit, a bit of a morbid kid. Just mm. you would write poetry as a kid about death and and um, read obituaries and stuff like that, which oh, is a little bit weird. Okay. Yeah, I lo- I actually love that. I think obituaries are fascinating. I love that you can condense someone's life down into kind of fifty words or something like that. What would you? This, I've never asked this question before, but I like this question. It's probably a bit early in the podcast oh, to go no. with it, but I, I like it, yeah. which is it, what would you like it to say in your obituary? I've thought about this and I really – it's so it, – don't you think it's hard to think about this stuff for yourself? Like I find it really easy to write a speech for a friend's 21st I've or whatever. written all my friend's obituaries. <laughs> <laughs> I genuinely I could. I have a book and a collection of them. <laughs> They're ready to go. Yeah. Who, who do you want? Who do you want? I can't do mine, but just throw me a name. But don't you find that hard? Like I find it hard to – I used to, you know, early days producing comedy before I was doing mm. stand-up, I could write anyone's show description, but then as soon as it came to mind, I was like, I don't know what I'm going to say. Or Is that the point of the show? I'm not really really sure like there's a bit of a disconnect i um, only this year have started i had a period where i was like trying to crack something in one of my shows and i said pretend it's not your show yeah i think you have to pretend it's not your show because i can look at somebody else's show and go that doesn't work because of this or if you just take that out yeah. this whole other thing is going to work better because that thing in the middle is really good but it's a distraction from the thing that you're actually telling and yeah Whereas with my own work, it can be a lot harder to do that. Totally. And sometimes you just got to step back and go, okay, but if you're someone else writing your obituary then. Yeah, if I was someone else writing yeah. my obituary now, um, I think I would like it to say some stuff about completing tasks. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's where I got to eventually. I'm so paranoid about not completing something. <laughs> Or being known for not finishing things. <laughs> That's, yeah. Well, the one thing that we can be assured of is Susie finished living. She's, <laughs> she's, she's completed done it. the task of life. Um, I used to. I used to think I would want to be known as a kind person. Mm-hmm. Um, that's when people talk about. I'm all over the place today. Um, when people talk about what sort of partner you want, yeah. uh, kindness has definitely moved up the list. That's okay. like when I try and boil that down. So I yeah. guess I would like to be that person as well. Um, 
uh, yeah, finishing tasks of being kind, yeah. I think is what I wanted to say. Okay, but that's yeah. all right. That's a good place for us to start. I yeah. like this. So kindness is important to you. Yeah, Describe it's becoming me. more and more. Okay. Yeah. So w- why? How are you coming to this as like, you know, being something that like, why is it more desirable to you now? Has it always been something that you've sought, but now you're really concentrating on it? Or is there a reason that you're suddenly like, no, kindness is actually what's important? I think uh, the more comments... So I don't read any reviews or comments mm-hmm. or anything online as much as I can now. But I only when read I read f- good ones, so <laughs> yeah. people can only send me good reviews and good comments. I'm happy to read those. Do you actually please. though? I mean, yeah. If someone that was I've, over the years, yeah. And I want to hear your story, not my stories. But um, I used to say I didn't read reviews. Yeah. And then, of course, you would always hear about the bad ones anyway because someone would eventually say to you, "Oh man, sorry about yeah, that." Yeah, sorry about that. And then you'd have to go and see it anyway. Yeah. So now my theory is. To, like for my management and stuff is I won't read any of it but if it's good send me a copy I'd love okay. to read something good about my show yeah, very that's... happy to read something nice about my show you know yeah. but I don't want to read something terrible about no it. so I don't I try not to at all now mm. but I used to read everything and it's so awful like that's not a surprise that's not a new thing to say no. but I'm I am I am constantly astounded by reading what other people write about just on anything and I'm anything. like just on comments online at mm. all um reviews about any show like it's so hard to make stuff mm. it's so hard like being mean just feels so unfair but it's just like, shut it's, the fuck yeah, but up it, being mean's easy it's making so easy. something's really hard yeah and being mean is easy and which of those two would you <laughs> yeah <laughs> I could I could make something but then people might be mean about it yeah exactly. I could just be mean but it just I think it it I think in the wake of, um, you know, there's been a few recent uh, celebrity suicides mm. that I have yep. been reading about and I, um, it makes me really angry. Mm. It makes me really angry that, that, that comments like that, the accumulation of many comments yep. can lead to something like that. Well, particularly the attackers of pack mentality of yeah. it, which is, that, you know, I think that, and you see it happen, particularly online, obviously, yeah. because that's the way that it can be marshaled so quickly, mm. which is the glee that people take in joining a pack to overwhel- to disproportionately mm. tear someone apart for whatever it is they've done. Yeah. Someone might have said something terrible or done something terrible and there's a proportionate response to yeah. that. But then there is a moment within that where the mob comes from them and people join in with such glee and abandon and without thinking about what the consequences of their, what it might be, regardless of whether you agree with what the person said or did in the first place. Exactly. And And it's not that you can't have an opinion on something. Of course you can, but there's the way that you say it. And I come from a family with, my dad is one of the kindest people I've ever met Uh and would go out of his way to make sure people knew something good about themselves. If that's what his opinion was of them. And, I didn't realize for so long that that's a quality that I really want and that I, and that I really want in a partner as well. Um, Is it a quality that you have yourself? Are you someone who finds it um, easy to tell people that they're doing, they're um, doing good? I, I, I love it. Yeah. And sometimes it makes people feel uncomfortable if you tell them how much you enjoyed something. But I, if I enjoy something about someone or something that they've done, I, I try to go out of my way to oh, yeah. let them know that I liked it. I, I, um, 
I do, and I used to be a bit like I used to write letters to authors oh, yeah. if I liked their books because I would think because I've always wanted to write a book and yeah. I have never written a book and I used to think, gosh, that's such a huge task and the fact that you've finished it and I've loved it, I really think you should know that and yeah. so I would do that and I want to go to an effort, yeah, and I, I want, want to go- write you a letter, yeah, not just like you know, so. Tell me before we move on with this, because you know that I'm going to ask you this question. Give me some examples of some authors that you would have written a letter to. I have written a letter to Tim Winton. Oh, really? I've written a letter to it. Did you get a response from Tim Winton? I did, but in person, because I had I handed it to him. Because oh, okay. I went to a book signing by myself. I had never been to an event by myself before. What age are you at this point? I am, I think I'm, oh, maybe I'm 18. Okay. I think I was, it was just after school. And he had written Dirt Music uh-huh. and I went to um, a book signing. The Valhalla in Glebe was still a, a cinema or a yep. theatre space at least. Mm-hmm. And um, he did a book signing there and I went and I handed him a letter. He was so gracious and lovely about it. Um, I ate a lamington on the bus home. That's <laughs> <laughs> I rewarded myself um, for being good brave. Good choice, by the way, really a good. Oh, I like blood. a lamington. I love a lamington yeah. so much. I'm going to learn how to make lamingtons this year. It's a... I think I would like to learn how to make a lamington as well. Do you eat them with jam in them or no? I'm ha- you know what? I I am non-discriminatory when it comes to lamingtons. Okay. If it's got some jam in the middle, absolutely. You're okay with very, that? Very happy with that. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll have a white chocolate lamington. Yeah, same. I, 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 a lamington finger makes me very happy. I know fingering's coming fine, up a you're lot. You're fine with lamington finger. I love a lamington finger because yeah. there's more chocolate than a, right. than a, a cube yeah. lamington. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. It's yeah. got the right proportions. No, it's no, no. The, it's, quite, it's quite good. Yeah. yeah. That's beside the point. But um, That's rare that I get yeah. to talk lamingtons with somebody. Oh, though, so, so good. Lamingtons and donuts are my favorites, yeah. um, but I think lamington would be my number one. I would take a lamington over a donut any day of the week. So would I. Yeah. yeah. And over a piece of chocolate cake or a cheesecake or whatever, I'd go a lamington. You know what? I think maybe I'm the same. All right. And I don't, you rarely meet somebody who's as fond <laughs> I just remember growing up, they used to have lamington drives. Do oh, you remember which this? Which were the best. Yeah, yeah, totally. And then there was just like for a while for charity and just an incredible supply of lamingtons. And those lamingtons yeah. are made by the mothers of your peers. Mm. And so they're good ass lamingtons and it's like they're beautiful they're really soft heaps of chocolate heaps of coconut lamingtons but also what i enjoyed about the lamington drive because they were made by yes like you said parents of your peers it was like getting an insight into everybody's family through, <laughs> yeah. because you would be able to compare the quality oh. of the lamingtons and the way the lamingtons were made. And yes. each of the, those things said something distinctly about that family as yep. well. I know that my mum was really good at making slices. I'm not a huge slice mm. fan, but she would cut the edges off before she sent them. She sent them to shops and yep. stuff like that. But if we ever went, like had the school fate or whatever, she would supply the, the chocolate brownies or the lemon coconut slices and stuff like that. Right, but, okay. but there was another well, family who made the lamingtons. Somebody to make slice for. Yeah, I'll send it down. I am very, very happy to receive. She's very good. She makes an orange poppy seed cake that is next level. Now I just want to eat sweets. Yeah, do you have a sweet tooth? I, I, I'm more of a savoury person, but I do love a sweet. Like I love it. I love a sweet, but I'm, I'm an olives and pickles human. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, is food a reward or food a fuel? What's your attitude to eating? Definitely reward. Yeah. 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 yeah, I think the the way your eyes lit up talking about foods, it's like you're not somebody who's just like I'd rather I'd rather just have some soylent and sit. You know, I so food food is a treat still. I've got a weird relationship with food because I have a lot of this is so boring. I have so many 
um, migraine triggers that I've eliminated oh. heaps of food from my diet in the last 12 months. Chocolate and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And um, wine and cheeses and all different things, oranges. Um, but it's all like, I'll, hopefully they'll all be able to come back into my life when some magical pill gets made. Um but yeah, I yeah, I love food, obviously. I just sat up in my chair talking to you about oh, no. it. Coconut slice. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. I just fish around for topics to see if the guests' eyes light up and I was yeah, like, you let's found not move it. on from Lamington's. <laughs> I think it was this in the West Indian cricket team. And <laughs> yeah, so far. They're my two sweetest. So things. far I said I'll I'll tell you the story later about when I met Brian Lara. You'll enjoy <gasps> Oh yes, please you'll, at the at an Adelaide nightclub oh, with Justin my Hamilton. Gosh. Of <laughs> course you did. PJ O'Brien's. Oh my god. <laughs> Gosh, is he as beautiful in real life? I'm he sure came he came over is. and joined our group because we had done it. I think Limo, Justin and I had just done a gig at, at the old Adelaide comedy gig yeah. at uh, Rhino and he was in town for some cricket thing. And anyway, we've gone to whatever the big nightclub on, on Rundle Street is called that has been there forever. And, yeah, uh, yeah. Um, Q Bar or something like that. Anyway, we, whatever it was called at the mm. time, we've gone up there and a few yeah girls who've come and seen the show are with us as well, you know. Yeah. And uh, Brian Lara comes up and asks if he can... Join us. Oh and anyway, gosh. he bought us uh, vodka, lime and sodas. And Justin and I both stole the glasses that he bought us. <laughs> and then for ages, we would drink out of our Brian Lara glasses. Do you still it have just, it? Yeah. I reckon I, Justin does. Oh, yeah. I reckon Justin probably still does have yeah, his. Yeah. I reckon mine might have got thrown out at some stage. But I had it for a very long time, my Brian Lara glass. I, I would be quite emotional if yeah. I had a vodka lime and soda with <laughs> Brian, Brian Lara. Lara. And my sisters would be so jealous. <laughs> we were. I think he would have been wrapped if your sisters were there that night. Put it that way. I, think. I bet he would too, actually. Yeah, uh, okay, so you've gone uh, Tim Winton. He was one of the people you wrote he was to. One. You, you ate a lamington on the way home. That's a good day. There was another author called Jonathan Trapper. What is Jonathan, what's Jonathan he, Trapper's go? Now I, I can't remember the name of his book because I was quite young when I read it. Um, but he's made a bunch of books that have now turned into films and stuff. He's, he's very good. And he, I, um, I emailed him and he wrote back saying thank you and that he – it was a particularly apt time to receive positive feedback. And I think when you hear stuff like that, it stays with you. Like when you think that you have affected someone positively, it stays with you. Well, you would now understand that. Yeah. You. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, I get a lot of, you know, correspondence, you know, particularly actually about this podcast because yeah. often people are listening to this in, you know, quite intimate parts of their life, going to work or mm. walking, going to the gym, you know, part of, you know, their life. And yeah. if, if a guest or something that we talk about really resonates with them, often people will be compelled to share it with you. And that's absolutely a lovely thing. And I I really appreciate that people do that. But sometimes it can be a lot, you know, because they've decided I'm going to write and I'm going to really tell you what, you know, this particular interview or this particular conversation or whatever meant Mm. to me. Mm. And most of the time you go, well, that's lovely. And I try to respond to that. But there is occasions when some other shitty thing is happening in your life or whatever, yeah. where you get one of those things and you're like, oh, you know what? I actually just needed to hear this today. Yeah. I needed to hear today that somebody thinks that the effort of doing this is worth it because today I was feeling like it wasn't. Yeah. I remember distinctly a couple of years ago doing a kids show for the comedy festival. Wasn't, it's not something that I do very often, um, but I was hosting this kids show and Sammy Shah brought his daughter along and he contacted me to say that his daughter said to him, also, I could do that 
if I wanted to. Now, her dad is a comedian, right. you know, is in the public eye. Yeah. When he contacted me, I was eating Chinese food with Kyron Wheatley um, and I got the message saying, you know, my daughter can see herself on stage and thank you for that. And we both burst into tears. I, I hope Kyron doesn't mind me saying that, but we burst into tears because it just – in the, in the thick of a comedy festival, especially when you feel like you don't really know what's real anymore or why you're bothering telling jokes, um, something like that is, is so touching. And it was, it was, I was so grateful. I immediately screenshot it and then sent it to my mom and dad and was like, Hey, look, look. I, I count. Look. <laughs> this is a good thing. Um, <laughs> They're like, Oh, now, now, now her parents are going to be disappointed with her. <laughs> and I'm like, no, he's a comedian. Yeah. He's already disappointing his parents. <laughs> um, but they were, they were really chuffed. And yeah, I, th- I think you're right. There are, there are days both ways. There are days when you hear that stuff and it doesn't affect you at all. Mm. And you, and it takes kind of you, you know you have a fleeting moment of that's nice and it goes away and then there are days where it really counts and it's the same with the bad stuff yeah yeah, yeah absolutely there are days where you can laugh off any amount of bad stuff oh, yeah. and then the, if it catches you just at the wrong moment something yeah. can get inside your head i had one the other night and i mentioned this only because it's unusual mm-hmm. like and it's on topic and it's unusual um, but it was just because I have a bit of a theory with comedy that, you know, you can't really change anyone's mind. The best you can do is if somebody is already in their own life, yeah. like looking at the two doors and working out which one of these two doors that I could go through. Yes. You could perhaps help them open one of the doors. Yeah. But like you can't, if, they, if they're already going through the other door, it's very hard to convince them I to be totally going through. I totally agree. Right? Yeah. So I'm up at Brunswick Heads in, uh, you know, doing some trial shows and this, these parents, like, come out the back to talk to me. They would have been in their – well, they said their son was in his 40s. And so, you know, whatever age – in their 60s or, you know, or plus maybe, yeah. whatever. Anyway, they came out the back to say that they'd enjoyed the show, but they came out the back to t- tell me that their favourite thing was that their son had come and seen the show the night before and he was somebody who had never – kind of believed in climate change and it had been a bit of a bone of contention between mm. in their family and then he'd come and seen the show and then had this like really open conversation with them about how like some of the things I'd said in the show kind of just in I think more that the way I said them yeah made something click in his head where yes. he was like oh yeah okay yeah all right but it was one of those moments where I was just like wow yeah <laughs> like yeah completely oh especially God. with something like that yeah I was like, I think, you know, the weather was doing a lot of the heavy lifting. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> the fact that the when I booked fires. in the shows that had been on fire and when I was doing the shows it was flooded, yeah. I think was doing some of the heavy lifting. But I don't think you can discount that either. Yeah. And my sister used to say you can be yelling the winning lottery numbers mm. at someone and if, unless they want to hear it or they're ready to, they're not going mm. to, even if they know that it will benefit them to hear it. And I really, I totally agree with that. I think that... um. You know, he he might have just been – it was perf- a whole, yeah. like, perfect storm for him. Right. Literally. <laughs> Literally. A perfect storm. <laughs> he floated away from that gig because <laughs> he had no other choice. <laughs> uh, so kindness, reaching out to other people and, and, and being kind in general. Are you, yeah. Would you consider yourself to be a kind person, you know, with your friends? Like, are you – would you – is that, like, your manner is one of kindness? I hope that outwardly I am kind. I know that my brain is a bit of an ass, mm. um, but I try not to let it speak as much. Like, I, yeah, I, I hope that I'm a kind person. 
Um, I definitely try to be, and I'm more aware of it now in the last, I would say in the last few years than ever before in my life. It didn't, it didn't really, it wasn't something that I thought about as much. Um, but now I feel like it's probably the most important thing. Yeah. Do you have a philosophy? That's what I ask people on this podcast. I ask them if they have a life philosophy of any kind and, uh, you know, seeing that we're talking about life yeah. philosophies, I thought I should at least formally ask you the question and you can respond in whatever way you want to respond to. But do you have one? Um, the thing that I, I don't know that I have a philosophy necessarily, but there, you know, that story, um, and I feel like a bit of a hack even saying this, but you know, the, the, the idea of the two wolves, mm-hmm. um, that there's, you know, um, there's these two wolves that are constantly fighting inside of you and the one that survives is the one that you feed and that one is positive positivity and kindness and goodness and, and charity. And the other is, you know, is the mean wolf. Um, I feel like I struggle with that. And I think probably because I've, you know, uh, gone through like pretty depressive periods and I'm a pretty anxious person, but I'm, I'm doing great and I have a lot of it under control, but because I've gone through that, um, those sorts of horrible, voices and that that part of your mind that that takes over and and it's a and it is a daily thing like it's not something that where I go through weeks of being blissfully happy happy and then I crash like it is on the the daily that I have to kind of temper it um yeah which wolf do I feed today yeah which wolf do I feed today and and how deliberate can I be in that and how quickly can I catch it before it's I was going to say how good are you at recognizing it because often that is the trickiest bit isn't it that to, you know, to recognize that how you're feeling right now is yeah. is one of the wolves rather than, you know, so uh, have you become better at that? Are you? Yeah, I've got some good tools. Mm. I've spoken about it on stage as well. I've got a checklist, which is hungry, tired, hormonal. And if I tick any of those boxes, I have to, I have to check myself a second time before right. I make any decisions. Um, In and- that order? Hungry, tired, hormonal. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. yeah. But that is like, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, it's pretty rare that I don't take one of those. Nothing but a good lamington could be fixed right now, to be honest. I cannot believe of all the things. If you had asked me, what will you talk about today? Lamingtons. There's no way yeah. lamingtons would you have come up. You just need to have an emergency lamington. I should just have one in my on handbag hand at all times. Although <laughs> a friend of mine, her biggest fear is being hit by a truck and having a cake in her bag. That's her fear. She the, doesn't so ever. I would say. <laughs> your friend and I mean this in the nicest possible way the first part of that is a relatable fear the second part <laughs> regardless does not matter that's true it's like you... it's like wearing clean undies in case you get hit by a bus yeah, like yeah. once you get hit by the bus the state of your undies is not going to be in the same state as it was when you went out for your walk in the first place but the ambos might report back to your mother yeah. that's the problem she had cake she had dirty <laughs> she undies had, and cake, and in, cake her in her bag <laughs> That is not my fear. And I would love to have an emergency Lamington on hand at any point. I, should, I really should do that. Um, you know, she was actually saved by the cake. It was the, <laughs> the impact of the collision was absorbed by the cake. Oh, could you imagine? Oh, God, I hope I don't die today from that p- specific set of circumstances. I mean, it would be absolutely terrible for you and I would be sad about it. But <laughs> no. in, in a way. Your face just lit up at that thought. It would be great for the podcast. The publicity you know? would be insane. <laughs> Actually, I'd probably find it hard to get guests. <laughs> After that, you'd have to start, yeah, you'd have to start. I could sell it to houses. Oprah, like it's like the secret or something. Yeah, yeah, you've attracted it. Yeah, it, I, I would find this hard to put. I'm really, I should have probably thought about this because I knew that it was coming about what my actual I don't philosophy mind if is. people don't think about it because sometimes if you think about it, you construct yeah. something. Whereas what I actually want is 
an honest response to whether yeah. you think you do or not. So, well, I th- I think that if I was to boil it mm. down, and this is not going to be a very articulate sentence because um, I'm thinking about Lamingtons. No, um, that I uh, yeah, I just try to put more energy into the positive voices in my head, and I hope that whatever I'm doing in the world is a reflection of that. Mm. Because I know how horrible and dark things can get and you see it, you know, you see it on the news all the time and now that, you know, I work kind of in the news cycle, it's, you know, I I cry quite regularly in my job Um, and there's every reason to. Like there's no reason why you couldn't indulge negative feelings and negative thoughts your whole life. But, uh, yeah. Well, like, so I assume the job you're referring to there is the project. Yes. Yes. And so for people who don't know the project, it's a a topical news, like news entertainment program, but it covers the news, but in a, you know, entertaining and just a bit, you know, more... I don't know. They call it, what do they call it? There's a slogan. There's uh, a, news delivered differently. News delivered differently. Which is go. news and yep. then a joke. Yeah. So it's not necessarily that we, we tell the news in a funny way. No. But that there is funny news and 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 mm. real news. And, and occasionally, for, for the comedian on the show, there's really serious, terrible news. And then oh, they yeah. throw to you like, hey, can you lighten this? M- yeah. Or, or can you now throw yeah. to this kitten video yeah. and wipe your tears at the same time, please, Susan? Like, yeah. that's what happens to me quite often. Um, and I didn't realize how much it affected me and I've only been doing it for you know about 12 months now um and it's not like I didn't read the news before but I just didn't read it on camera in front of people and I didn't realize how much I cried reading the news um which I think is it can be problematic um but also and do you um it's nice that you recognize that because I think a lot of the time particularly when people take those jobs yeah they tell you everything else about the job they say it'll be every Sunday and you'll need to be there at you know two o'clock for blah 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 and you'll need to get into makeup here and you'll get paid this much and Mm. you'll have this many publicity commitments but it's rare that somebody says to you and by the way yeah you are going to have to keep up to date with all these things your brain is going to be filled with all these you know news stories occasionally you're going to have to you know like like you said you know be in the room when you're hearing about this really terrible thing that yeah for the first time usually and and how is this going to affect your brain and the way you think and the way that you look at the world yeah they don't they don't tell you that no and uh and nowhere does by the way and nowhere does no but they all should because yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of the time when people come out of breakfast radio and, and I've just recently done that, but like mm-hmm. when they come out of those jobs, part of the relief they feel isn't from the hours of getting up in the morning, it's from not waking up to terrible news every day. Yeah. Oh, of course. So you yeah, you would have totally had to go through this for years and years at a time. Years like, and years and and be the first person to tell people terrible news. Yeah. Like, you know, after 9-11, after the Bali bombing. Yeah. But it doesn't have to be that big. It can be the three kids who died in the car overnight that you're oh, reporting yeah. every half an hour in your news service. Yeah, you know. exactly. I was at the desk when the Christchurch massacre happened. Right. And uh, I didn't know Waleed very well, but I saw him go and write his response to it and come back to the desk. And I've never been more confused emotionally in my life because I was in awe of this person who could be so articulate um, as and, and compassionate um, at this time and then was completely devastated by the news personally. And it was, it was such a shocking... Um, event and I couldn't believe I was doing it in front of such a big audience and I was I remember going home that night and having a horrendous migraine and thinking that makes sense Mm. like of course your body's reacting to this this is 
this deserves whatever pain you're going through, which is a thing that happens a little bit for me. Like I, I've jumped out of a plane. I, I did um with a with a parachute. Um, I nearly got kicked out of one on the way to Wagga. Yeah, I've so heard about that. Story. <laughs> um, I went skydiving, and my the last thought I had was, mm. if I die today, you absolutely deserve it. Why did you go skydiving? I've always wanted to. I've, I've been several times. I think yeah. it's amazing. Oh, well, but adrenaline. What, but why? Yeah. So what was it that attracted you to it? Um, I've always wanted to. I yeah. think because I thought from the videos, you look like you're flying. You're yeah. not. No, you're falling, falling and yeah. it's horrendous. And the and the, that, that drop in your stomach as you fall is the best and worst thing that's ever happened. Because you're like, if I survive this, right. this is the greatest feeling in the world. And the adrenaline is like nothing else. Um, but yeah, my last thought was I, I, like, right. of course you deserve to die if you do this. Yeah. Your brains are weird things. Isn't it? Yeah. But so obviously there's some desire in you though to, you know, push yourself into some yeah. of these extreme circumstances. To see what I can survive. See what you can survive. Yeah. Why did you do it? I mean, there's definitely an element of that. Yeah. It's, oh, you know, I'm doing these improvised stand-up shows at the comedy festival, you know, and every yeah. night, like, you know, it's the fucking comedy theatre. It's yeah. a thousand seat venue. Yeah. And my plan is for 10 shows in a row to literally make up an entire show on the spot but every that's night like that's so, improv is so exciting but so but, but I, the thing i keep explaining to people is i said it's like jumping out of a plane yeah you know the, you know except that i guess i you know you have to learn how to fly on the way down in the improv shows as opposed to yeah. let someone else who knows what they're doing on your back pull a cord and oh, get you to the ground but yeah it is that same thrill of going well this is a this is a pretty silly idea. Yeah. But, you know, if I survive it, it is going to be very exciting. And that stuff is really exciting to me. Like your Billy Connolly moment um, for me was going to see an improv show when I was still in high school. And where was the show? At the Enmore Theatre. Uh-huh. Um, what was it? Uh, what sort of show was it? It was Celebrity Theatre Sports. Yeah, right. Anthony LaPaglia was a was a guest. Uh-huh. Gia Caridis was there. And I saw them get up on stage and make stuff up. And my I something snapped. I was like, what do you mean they have? haven't prepared anything I didn't I really didn't know anything about improv and I couldn't understand why anyone would get up there having not prepared it when you had the time to do so right. I felt like my mother's voice was in my head um, but it was so exciting and that's why I still love about improv and what I love about um, dealing with anything that goes wrong during a stand-up show is like if you pull this off then the reward is like a million times yeah. better because I didn't get to plan it that's the best um What's problem solving, right? Yeah. Yeah. Improvisation, you know, at its best is problem solving. Whatever, you know. Or connecting something that you, like grabbing something from one part of your brain and from another part of your brain and putting them together. And it's funny. That's awesome. That's the best thing. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. And it's amazing to watch and everybody sees it in the room. It's, I think to kids in particular, it's intoxicating. Yeah. So how old would you have been watching this show? I think I was 16. Yeah. Perfect. Like, and had you not, you hadn't done high school theater sports or anything at that stage? No, I was just writing my sad death poem still. (laughs) I wasn't, I wasn't doing any Sort of performing. I was so. Do your sad death poems still exist, by the way? Yeah, is there totally. A book of them there is. That, yeah. yeah, my dad has a um has a like a quite a large box yeah. full of. I used to write fake yeah. newspaper articles. Like it was, I was, I was a strange kid. Uh-huh. Um, but then the flip of what we're just talking about with improv and things going wrong and solving them is that the things that go that are quite um kind of 
every day scare me a lot more. So the thought of having to apply for a home loan mm-hmm. or finish yep. a tax return, even though that's like a, a set task that has a beginning and an end, that stuff makes me really anxious. But standing, if someone said, hey, this comedian, which is my dream, this comedian uh, can't get to the venue. Can you get up and do 10 minutes until they get here? I'm like, fuck yeah. yeah. Like that's exciting to yeah, me. Yeah, this is what I can do. Yeah, this and is what return, I can do. Can they can they please? home loan? <laughs> <laughs> can they do this paperwork, please? It's so confusing. It's awful. Uh, I find life stuff, and I would love to be good at life stuff. Yeah. I, if, if I were, you know, magic... Yeah, magic wand. Yeah. I think this is such a boring magic wand wish, but to be good at life stuff. Yes. Because I'm terrible at it and I find it overwhelming. Yeah. And I'm a classic example of one of those people who puts off things that to anyone else would have been, if I just sat down for two hours and sorted it out, it would oh, be yeah. sorted out. But instead, I'm going to put myself through two months of late fees and pain yes, and annoyance and then missing the deadline and blah, blah, blah. And even when someone tells me that there is an app where I can take yeah. a photo of a receipt and oh. it will do half, I'm like, yeah. something in my brain just stops listening yeah. immediately. I don't, I don't want to engage. And I've got bags of receipts. I don't need them. <laughs> and I'm one of those people who puts together a spreadsheet before sending it to my tax accountant. It's all these friends who are like, just give them all the receipts. I'm like, no, no, no. I've, I better go through them. I better pain through this one more time. It's my fault. If you if you know anything about me, need to know anything about me, is that I collect all receipts and send none of them to my accountant. <laughs> <laughs> Why do we do it? Oh, man. So, um, okay. So, tell me then, how high school, what are you like at high school? This is like 16, you start seeing some improv. You've been writing your... Yeah, your death poems. What is your What does your life look like? Are you at a co-educational high school? No. Are you at a private school, Catholic school? I'm at an independent ladies' college. Okay, so that is like somewhere between a public run school by Beyonce. And a, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just get, teaching girl power. <laughs> Who runs the world? Girls, <laughs> girls. <laughs> girls. That's it. Um, we yeah. So it's somewhere between a public school and a private school. Right. Um, all girls, Catholic, uh, in Parramatta. Um, I'm obsessed with. English and drama mm-hmm. um, and te- pretty terrible at maths. Like I was okay at maths, but it just would annoy me. I really wanted to do chemistry, but the chemistry teacher asked me to drop the subject because I was kind of more interested in learning about Louis Pasteur and his life than right. about actual... The history of the The history of it, actual, yeah. yeah. And loved history. Yeah. What, or actually wanted to be a history teacher. Mm-hmm. Started studying to be a history teacher um, when I left school. Um, and I was in leadership. I was like... I was the kid that would get up and do speeches at assembly no. and I um, I was the vice captain, but I, I tell a joke because we, it was not captain and vice captain at our school. It was head girl and assistant head girl. So I was the assistant head girl. Um, so I had a badge that said that ass head girl, which is just, yeah. Um, any racism? Was there like, because... There was an, like, I'm trying to get the era of it specifically, but oh, yeah. I just remember, because how old are you now? I'm 35. Okay, yeah. So there must have been an era where being Lebanese in Sydney, yep. there was a period of time where there was a lot of sort of tough news stories around the Lebanese community. Oh, yeah. Cronulla riots was just well, obviously. just after I finished school. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, yeah. So, where do you place in all that then? Like, in like was it – did you ever you know, get the feeling that you were 
you know, being discriminated against in that way? Were you swept mm. up in that? Did you identify with, you know, the way the, you know, Lebanese community was being, you know, portrayed in the media and all these sort of things? I think that it was more subtle, mm. like day to day. I was conscious of it when it happened to my dad, when um I, I remember like some uh, comments being made on a train once and towards my dad and him deliberately ignoring them. And I remember thinking, oh, uh, like I, I clocked it and felt that rage. Um, I was a bit of a social justice warrior and I loved like I was part of the Amnesty, Amnesty Letter Writing Club and all of that at school. But I, I wasn't so aware of it happening to me as I was aware of it happening to other people. And because I was a bit of a smart ass and if anything had been said, I was kind of always ready for something to be yep. said and then I would have that line, but it didn't really happen. Um, but I know that when the Cronulla riots happened and a friend of mine who lived in the Shire had a – new year's eve party mum and dad asked me not to go they were like just not this year and i was so angry mm. i was like this shouldn't stop me from going to a party and i was really mad mm. about it and it shouldn't it shouldn't have but they were all, you could see from their perspective yeah you know, why they would want me to be yeah. safe and, this is not yeah. fair yeah but but i yeah i get it yeah um, and also because all of my extended family weren't terribly scary. Like I knew that on the news that there were lots of Lebanese gangs and there was, you know, there was legitimate fear for some things that had happened, but my cousins were landscape gardeners. And like I wasn't, they weren't scary dudes. No. They were, yeah, like <laughs> I think some of them were scared of dogs. Like they were, they weren't burly blokes. Um, we would, my mates would joke about, oh, you know, could you call one of your cousins? And I'd be like, oh, yeah. And they'd be like, no, I definitely you, couldn't. There's no way. Your, do you need your lawn done? <laughs> yeah. Do you guys, do you guys, guys want to? Do you guys need a pond in the backyard? Is that what you're <laughs> Some for? pruning? Is that what needs to happen? <laughs> definitely call a guy about that yeah. if you like. But, um, yeah, so I, I was definitely more conscious of it happening to people around me than, uh, than actually feeling it myself. Although I did get called um, at a party. I was talking to a boy and a girl called me a wog slut. And oh, I remember that. Okay. I, I, rem- I was in Hunter's Hill. I remember yeah. the party. Um, I didn't even kiss that boy. It was yeah. such a wasted night. But uh, yeah, I think that's the only like specific incident that I can remember happening online. I've had loads of hate, but growing up. Oh, um, so uh, yeah, cause I've online, would it be mostly project related? Uh, there's a little bit of project hate, although not as much, but early days stand up and doing anything like putting up any videos or sketches and stuff like that around uni time. That's when I got it. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. So like, cause I mean, well, the internet, as we've already discussed, yeah. can be a cruel and horrible place. Yes. And you know, we used to play this game when this was a fun game to play. And then we realized just how horrible it was, but essentially the game was you look up any YouTube clip yeah. and you've got to find one that within five comments, there's not something that's sexist or homophobic oh, yeah, or, yeah. or racist. racist. Like, and it was yeah. like a game you could literally play for about an hour before you would finally find a video. Yeah, that it's impossible. It's impossible. Written something horrible yeah. in front of. But yeah. when it's directed at you and then suddenly it becomes this world. The only reason I said the project really is that I know that their audience are quite vocal and, yeah. you know, obviously, you know, Waleed and that, you know, has had, you know, you see the hatred that he oh, gets yeah. and then it's it becomes horrendous. very racial and, you know, religious and all these sort of things. So yeah. I just wondered. Um, so how do you deal with that? Is that something that you are pretty much hardened to or does it still, is there some that can still slip in that'll hurt you in that uh, time? I think it does. I think as well because I don't, um, like I said it to you before, I'm not a very 
I'm not a particularly good Lebanese mm. human. Like I, I know it's unavoidably all over my face and I know that my mum is a great cook, but I don't really live like I, I'm so privileged. I have such a lucky life that I don't really, when people talk about diversity mm. and minorities, I am so aware of it, but I don't necessarily feel it or live it every day of my life. Um, and I'm really defiant and I have a very sharp tongue if I need to be. I think that's why I, the kindness stuff keeps coming up is because I feel like if I wanted to, I could be so horrible. I really could be. I, I remember hearing a comment, reading a comment <laughs> where a guy said to me, Susie Yusuf is as funny as a shit in a biscuit tin. Yeah. And I, I mean, think which, I've thought about that. In the that. right circumstance, is actually pretty funny. So funny. This like, is what, the thing. You know, if you were at like a football club or something yep. and someone took a shit in a biscuit tin, they would talk about that for the Forever. next 20 years. Also, if you open a biscuit tin yep. expecting a biscuit, but someone's put a shit, shit in, in there. there. It's well, still pretty it's funny. It's so funny. And it's certainly funny for everyone else. Even if it's not funny for, for you. For you, exactly. The rest of the group would be like... It's still got some... Yeah, it's still got comedy. House. Yeah. There's like... That so is many. a terrible line. That person's not thought that through at all. Not at all. And I did I did read that and think for weeks and weeks afterwards all the things I could write back until I thought, or oh, this could be 10 minutes on yeah, stage. Exactly. Like, I'll just take this as a gift. This is a shit in a biscuit tin, <laughs> yeah. as I call it. Um, very funny. Um <laughs> Yeah, I'll prove to you how funny I'll show a shit you. In a biscuit tin is. Sir. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I I um so so some of them hurt and some of them really spark a uh like a desire to to get back at them as as hard and as fast as I can and then others completely slip by me and I don't care. Is there a when are you at your best creatively because often like you know, I mean I for all his ills and like this is one of these things that I always feel like I have to apologize up the front for liking it's a bit like South Park yeah I yeah, know yeah. okay I get it you can have your opinions about South Park but I like South Park yep. and same with Eminem I like Eminem yep. and I like when Eminem's angry about stuff even if the stuff he's not angry at doesn't make sense like yes. even if he's just like, like <laughs> I'm just like I prefer him angry because I always think he's making his best stuff when he's when he's really angry yeah but being angry isn't always a great creative space for people like no i found last year when i wasn't angry i was going through a tougher period and i was trying to show kindness i wrote all this climate change stuff that was good but i just i yep. just still didn't feel like it was right you yes. know and then the bushfires happened and all the nonsense around that and some things that genuinely made me angry yeah and i kind of wrote some new stuff but then sort of rewrote the old stuff to go with the new stuff and it just came alive because yeah. I actually gave a shit and I was connected to it and I totally. suddenly had something to, you know, really rally against and all these sort of things. So yeah. I found the anger quite creatively liberating because yeah. it was anger for the right reasons, you know. That's one of my biggest worries. I've spoken to um, a mental health care professional about this Um that what if I get to such a Zen place yeah. that I'm no longer angry about anything, will I even be able to write anymore? Right. That's my biggest worry Yeah, is that I either choose health mm. or comedy. That's what goes through my head constantly. Yeah. Um, what if, what if I fix me and I'm not funny anymore? That's, <laughs> that's, the, that's the problem. That's like, well, I won't yeah. be able to live for much longer because yeah. I'll have no, how yeah. I make money. Yeah. I'll no, that's to, great. I'm yeah. real Zen until I die of starvation. Until I die of starvation. I'm not anymore. Yeah. I'll just eat that. And I don't even care because I'm Zen about everything. <laughs> but that is a worry. Definitely. I think I'm very creative mm. when I'm angry. I think I'm at my most um, energetic. Yeah. 
uh, creatively when I'm angry, um, which I hope I can find that energy in another emotion. But yeah, anger seems to be the one that, that helps the most. But also, like, being made, perhaps being able to just tap into that capacity for yeah. anger when anger is needed. Yeah. Because or just kind of any negative emotion. Like, I feel quite creative when I'm sad, obviously. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the death poetry. Um, and, you know, and when I'm frustrated with a yeah. circumstance, all of that. Like, yeah. it's, it's a much uh, more creative space for me, which, yeah, is confusing sometimes. Yes, it, I, I bet it is, yeah. and 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 yes, it's such a weird relationship between art and emotion that yeah. you're like, well, what, if I take this away, does this other thing not work anymore? Yeah, and is it still me? Because yeah. isn't the struggle part of who I am? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can, that can be really scary. So mm. you're sixteen, seventeen. You you start being introduced into this world. You're the person at school who's you know making the speeches and you're yes. a bit of a social justice warrior so when you're finishing school yep. what is it that you're intending to do and have it have you like what sort of kid are you outside school are you I, like what's your life look like other than school at that age uh i was still net doing netball playing netball, netball. what position wing defense lazy ass uh, kid should have played wing attack wa my initials that's why i have used to play wing attack with my mum's mixed netball team yeah see wing attacks were quite fit yeah. wing defense could kind oh, of hang back a little bit right? well I, that's what i always thought yeah. center and wing attack <laughs> but in indoor netball wing defense is the center and so i always tricked myself into thinking i had some level of fitness um and also after school we would like when school finished my the girls that pl- i played netball with mm. we did an indoor competition but we also smoked a lot so we would play netball and then we would sit around smoking for hours afterwards wondering why we'd lose games um so yeah it was a little bit of that there was a lot of a lot of hanging out at the um oval at the the park down the street from me that was always closed for flooding because it used to be a lake and waiting for the boys at the high school up the street to walk past and just accidentally talk to them Mm -hmm. um a lot of reading and a lot of (laughs) of writing um pretty average stuff um and I wrote a play when I was in high school. Oh, so tell me about that. That was called Club Insomnia. And was it for a school play competition or something? It was for a competition at the local theatre, mm-hmm. but they got NIDA actors to perform it. Like it was – I think that whoever organised that initial grant really messed mm-hmm. up because we had a lot of money to play with. Um, and they definitely changed it the year after I did it. But I was in a maths class. I don't know if I've spoken about this before. I'm sure I have. I was in a maths class and the, our maths teacher was away and the teacher that was replacing her said, oh, Susie, you do creative stuff. There's this competition going. All you have to do is write one page um, about an idea that you've got. And I was always a horrendous sleeper. I never slept very much as growing up. Um, and so I, I wrote down this idea for this school camp. It was essentially the breakfast club, but for insomniacs. Yeah, great. And wrote this play and, yeah, got to work with a bunch of excellent humans and, yeah, really loved um, loved doing that and, was, and wanted to be in in that world. I didn't know exactly. I wasn't very – like mum and dad had kind of sent us to we, – we saw Les Mis and we saw Rent. I remember my sister Terry and I and we got really sick, both of us, because it was the first time we'd ever gone out without mum and dad. They dropped us off at the theatre and then we had money for snacks and so we ate like – Maltesers and drank heaps of coke and we weren't very unhealthy kids generally and got so sick both times um but i knew i wanted to be in that world i, I but i wasn't very smart and i and i wasn't very 
exposed to it apart from the occasional musical for a gift. So, yeah. I. So what happened then? So what happens next? Like what? With the play? No, with, well, no, I mean, what happened next? Like school finishing? Oh, school, so school like, finishes. What, what do you do? I want to be a history teacher. Yeah. Um, so I go to Macquarie Uni and I start being a history teacher. I fall in love with my um, tutor immediately. <laughs> Smartest man I've ever met in my life. And, and, and I tell him because that's how much, how like clueless I am. And I remember he said to me, oh, Susie Yusuf, you will be smarter than me in four years. And all you'll remember is an old man who used to speak about Russian history. <laughs> he was so sweet. I was obsessed with him. Um, so I went to uni, but I was miserable. I was totally yeah. miserable. Mum and right. dad, after the play, got a little bit worried that that was my path mm. and that it, they didn't know very much about that world. And so I stopped doing anything creative for about three years and um, was just studying, but it was completely miserable and eventually took a year off. And that's when I started doing improv in the year off. So where do you start doing improv? Um, I go. I do a theatre sports course because that's all I knew of improv. Yeah, of course. What, having seen it, um, and in the first, like the, the level one course, I barely speak. Like I just go in and I'm loving it, but I, I'm terrified. And but I just signed up for the second level course, and then at the end of that, you do a performance, and you know whatever. I, I all I remember is being really really nervous until the stage lights went on, and then being a show pony. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And jumping up and having an absolute ball. And then just, uh, yeah, never went back to uni, never finished my history degree. Just went, you know what's for me? The <laughs> lucrative world of improv. <laughs> it was. <laughs> this will be fine. Oh, my gosh. And it kind of was okay for a little while. I worked in a lot of offices. Mm. I have done admin all uh, – my personal admin skills, mm. horrendous. But I can, I can whip but up other a spreadsheet. People, yeah, yeah, totally fine at it. Right. Um, but I was really lucky in all of the admin jobs I ever did. I, there was always perks. Like I, w- I would arrive on like pizza and massage Friday or mm. something like that, <laughs> which actually happened at a, um, at a printing firm in North Ride. I ar- the day I arrived, they were like, when would you like your massage and what sort of pizza do you like? And I was like, what? <laughs> Any love I'm only it? coming in once a month on Friday. <laughs> yeah, that's Whenever it. you guys do this, this is the level of expectation you have now created for me. Isn't that nuts? And uh, I, yeah. So you've, you, but you traveled overseas at some stage to do improv, right? Yeah. Yeah. One of my first ever mm. gigs was in Singapore. So I had just started doing improv and a bunch of us were sent over to teach school workshops and do shows. Mm-hmm. And that was, yeah, really, I think that was like the second year I was doing improv. And then, um, yeah, from improv went into sketch comedy with a bunch of Sydney uni kids, even though I never actually attended Sydney University. Mm. I, I lived there. Mm. And I've just read that the Manning Bar is closing down, which is devastating. So you, would you have spent a lot of time at the Manning Bar hey, at, at every Sydney Thursday. Uni performing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I would get lunch times off my job, mm. race to Sydney Uni and do the, the theatre sports show mm. there. I loved it. Um, yeah, I um, yeah. yeah, you would have done the same. We did um, our final ever breakfast show. Yeah, Adam and I when we were on Triple J. Yeah, yeah it yeah. was live from the Manning Bar, and I have a lot of memories of you know great things that I did at the Manning Bar over the years. It was so, awesome. Yeah. It was always packed. Like mm. it was always a hazard how packed it mm. was. Um, maybe that's why it closed down, but, <laughs> but, but it was so much fun. And, yeah. uh, you know, we thought we'd do that forever. Um, did a bunch of sketch shows and then started doing the Melbourne comedy festival with a sketch troupe, uh, so with an improv how, troupe. So yeah. yeah. So how many people were in your first show? 
the improv show was um, there was seven seven or eight of us. Seven or eight of you coming down to Melbourne because yes. you were not Melbourne based. No, it was Sydney right? based. And all staying in the same hotel room, like sharing beds and sleeping on couches and floors. <laughs> and the scared weird little guys were doing the super band. Yeah. Um, at the at the hi-fi. Yeah. Oh my gosh. We were only here for two weeks and I went back a shade of green that my skin has never been. It was disgusting. Just we because so you were having fun. so much fun. So much yeah. fun. Yeah. So like six, seven of you living in a one hotel room. Yeah. Like I imagine like I doing shows is fun, but but then the, the festival itself yeah. is the best. So exciting. And yeah. When you're at that age in particular, oh, and that yeah. part of your career, like, you know, spending all night at the hi-fi bar and meeting all these other creative people and, yeah. you know, partying very hard and that's all fine. You yes. Know, every night and Saturday night and, it's you know, best. it's the best. And, yeah. you know, such an exciting time, but not the healthiest of all. Not, not at all. It takes lifestyles. a month to recover from a month in Melbourne. Yeah. Yeah. So um, were people coming to see your shows? Yeah, we flyed really hard. Mm. We we were out on the That's streets the every day. That's the advantage of having so many people. Yeah. And being improvisers who sometimes stand-ups can't – not great flyers for their own show. No. Often I'll meet a stand-up flyer in their own show and go, you should hire someone to do this. <laughs> yeah. Because you're terrible at no, this. No, and because <laughs> you've got a social, you've got social anxiety. Yeah. Get off the street. That's why you're a stand-up. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. Um, but there was power in numbers for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, no, we did pretty well. I, I th- we didn't make any money, no. but we didn't – I don't think well, we lost Well, there's six or teams. seven of you to yeah. pay this. No, why are you going to make money? No, and any money we did make, we drank immediately. Yeah. Um, but we had we had a ball and then kept going back for yeah I think I was saying to you I did like th- I think I did thirteen years straight mm. at the Melbourne Comedy Festival doing at least one show there was a year where I did three shows, um, and just loved every second of it yeah um, not every second but well, we won't go into second. that let's not yeah <laughs> no there would have been some tough times along the way I oh imagine, yeah like we all ball had yeah especially when I started doing solo yeah because my first shows were a mixture of sketch and stand up. Yeah. So what made you decide to start doing solo stuff? You know, you've worked with other people for all this time. What yeah. made you think? That oh, I could do it by myself. See you later, NSYNC. <laughs> yeah. Justin Timberlake's time to go solo. <laughs> time for JT. Um, yeah. I I was working at the comedy store. so I'd, The Sydney comedy store. The Sydney store. comedy store. Yeah. And I had stopped doing admin. Um, and I, was, I ended up being the booker at the store, like mm. producing shows at the store for about a year. And there was a lot of negativity surrounding female comics and I... In the scene or from the, you know, that that place, from um, audiences, from all from, those things? Mostly from audiences, the no. way that people would react to the, the lineup. And because I was booking the lineup, I took mm-hmm. it so personally. Um, yeah, no, the, the actual culture in the store was really inclusive, but the audiences were would say the things that you hear all the time, like um, you're funny for a woman or um, uh, I liked everyone on the lineup except the chick. And you'd go, fuck, that's annoying. Um, Because there were so many funny women performing at the time who would be on the back foot just because they were female. So it it was really frustrating. Um, And I had a particular case where there was a complaint from a guy who was really drunk at the time. um, Yeah. trying to convince me that I had wanted to speak to the manager and telling me how terrible the lineup was because I had booked three women and I went home that night and wrote down in the back of a notebook. He's obituary. (laughs) (laughs) 
both of our obituaries, the obituary of the comedy store. No. A poem um, about death, his obituary and... I was furious. I, I, I journaled. Yeah. Watch out. Yeah. Um, I was so angry about it and I complained to my sister the next day and she said, unless you're up there doing it, you can't complain about this. And that lit a bit of a fire. And I was like, I'll do it then. I can do it. And she was like, well, then do it. And so I started um, doing solo sketch was how I started out because I wasn't quite ready to do anything in my own voice. Um, And I, yeah, that was, I stopped working at the comedy store and I started doing it. I made started working at the comedy store. Started working at the comedy store on stage, yeah. And they were really supportive of me doing it, which was awesome. The Sydney comedy, the Sydney comedy scene and festival, and the Melbourne scene were really supportive of me, which was amazing. Yeah, I mean, I my again, I'm a white straight man, so like you know, my perspective on this isn't always you know foolproof. You know, like you know, things can go unseen by people who don't need to see them. Yeah, yeah. But um, I've always found that, you know, particularly the Sydney scene and the Sydney comedy store have come out of a tradition, like a history of it being very male-dominated. Yep. The Sydney scene was, I mean, we're talking way back yeah, now. Way back. But, yeah, But the history of it, often the history of a scene shapes the culture of the scene for yeah. generations onwards. Oh, absolutely. But the evolution of that scene over the last, say, 20 years, but particularly the last, say, 10 or 5 years, yeah. you know, has been absolutely incredible where that old idea of what Sydney comedy was is no, I mean, the Sydney scene now, the on the ground scene is as vibrant and interesting as, I mean, you could argue that it's probably more vibrant and interesting, at least at that level than Melbourne is, which, you know, it hasn't happened a lot in the history of Australian comedy. No, I think it's, I think it's really exciting now. I think, and I think that it did come a long way and I, and like, I hesitate to say this because I don't really feel like an authority on it at all, but I think that you do educate your audience a little bit. I think that, well, not that you educate them, but that you expose them to a certain thing. And so right. the change has to come from the top of the, of the to. way that you organize You can't wait it. for the audience to decide. No, because if they haven't seen it, how do they know what yeah. they like? Well, um, like Sammy Shah's kid. Yeah, like, exactly. You know, she sees her dad being a stand-up comedian but doesn't imagine, you know, you've got to be able to see do. it to be it. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. That's- so who were you seeing? Like as in like who, like who were the comedians that you admired that you thought, you know, like that inspired you? I was um, – Maria Bamford comes oh, to mind yeah, first okay. of all. Good and choice. just that that mix because I think that I, I always aspired to yeah. be somewhere in that realm of what she uh-huh. was doing yeah. that was essentially like what I thought was sketches. Mm-hmm. You know, she's she's telling these yeah. stories about her family and particularly her mother yeah. and doing this incredible impression. Um, yeah, well, her act, her like act outs yeah. are sketches. They're sketches essentially. Yeah. yeah. So she was for me the be all and end all when I first started. And, but even going back further, like I'm, I'm watching like Janine Garofalo and, and all of of these like um really brazen like kind of grungy mm-hmm. stand-ups really appeal to me i mean I, when you look back at janine yeah particularly you know at the time yeah and watch how important she was in kind of you know being a bit of a trailblazer for yeah women to be able to like not you know to to be like the men were in the jeans and the t-shirt yeah, exactly. and talking about you know, been angry and talking about news and politics and exactly. life and all these sort of things that she, 
you know, probably doesn't get the credit she deserves. Actually, no, I not think. at all. And I think that she she was looked so effortless in the yeah. way that she did it. She wasn't really trying, which is so my problem is that I just mm. don't want to look like I'm trying when I'm doing it. And Maria Benford had that like the opposite, where she looked like she was trying so hard, but it worked, and I loved that. It was amazing. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I mean. Yeah. Okay. Good examples. Both. Yeah. Both incredibly. Uh, fantastic comedians mm. and on the scene i remember watching amanda gray mm. do stand up at the sydney comedy store and just being like in the same vein as during janine garofalo where you know she was so low-key and so funny in the way that luke heggie delivers lines mm. where you just go how did you that's word perfect like you chose the right words you mm. did really well there and they're so angry in the best possible way um so when you start to go beyond, you know, one person's sketch shows yep. and start to say, that's not to say that sketch shows don't have something to say, but when, no. once it becomes your your voice, yeah. when you are up there, was that a confronting thing to go, this is now just going to be me and what I'm saying and what I yeah. think? Because it then, you know, it doesn't have that safety barrier of you doing a sketch. It's yeah, actually, or having a character in front yeah. of you or anything yeah. like that. Yeah, or that's, you are the character. Now. Yeah. yeah, or I'm a, ver- I'm a, version, a version of myself that's so close to me that it's freaky. Mm. Um yeah, that still scares me. I still struggle with that. And because I have such a love of stand-up and seeing it done well that when I'm not at the level – you know, there's Ira Glass talks about the, the space between your ability and your taste, and I feel like that is such a, a huge gap still, and I hate that. But you can't get better at it unless you do more of it. That's the that's the problem. Um, and I, I look at good stand-up and – I think it's magic. Like I think when it, when it's done well, it's the best of, of all the things I've ever done. A well-crafted joke or a good story is the most satisfied I've ever felt. Delivering that is the most satisfied I've ever felt. Um, better than pulling off a character or tricking someone with a voice. It's like something that's quite vulnerable and truthful and also like devastating. Yeah. Yeah. What is it that you try to achieve you know, with your stand-up? Like what's your reason to be doing it in the first place like what is what would you like people to get out of your work I think initially it was defiance like doing it despite um my my better whether I thought I could do it or not and because other people thought maybe I couldn't and but I (laughs) I hope it's a start defiance (laughs) it's a really good a lot of of energy I think defiance has often been that little egg on the mountaintop that monkey jumped out of you're probably too young to understand that reference (laughs) I don't know (laughs) (laughs) I don't know but I nodded along I really went with you I appreciate you patronizing thank you so much Uh, but yeah, it um, you've dropped Ira Glass and I've dropped <laughs> Monkey Magic from ABC TV at six o'clock with my childhood. I mean, I know the reference. I just don't have yeah. any personal attachment to it. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I so firstly defiance, which I think is great in and of itself. I yeah. still think that stand up is you know in many ways laughter is our greatest act of defiance, yeah. and if we can laugh at things, we can demystify things and often when my comedy isn't working yeah it, it like if i'm trying to uh you know attack not attack because that's the wrong word but like if someone's ideas or what they've said or what they've presented or is so repulsive to me yeah the most powerful thing that you can do and why politicians still fear comedians yeah. and why in our society because we're just dickheads and make jokes for a living yeah and yet the over emphasized sense of like when a comedian makes a joke or blah, blah, blah in our society. And it's mm. because 
it's still what power fears. In fact, I think what power fears the most is being laughed at. Yeah. And the mistake we can sometimes make is take power too seriously and forget to, we can still make jokes about it, but sometimes even on like TV shows that are about the news and stuff like that, Mm. it's almost like they take the thing they're laughing at too seriously where I'm like, no, no, no. And I've done this myself where you have to actually shorten the gap and go, no, we have to be laughing at them. Yes. The most powerful thing we can do is to not take it seriously. Yeah. Is to take it and then you know, dismantle why it's so ridiculous Completely. and why it's but not take it seriously at all. No. Because the whole the, the way that power thrives is mm. through tension and fear. Right. And comedy is the dispelling of that. Yeah. And that's what's so exciting about it. And I think that uh, when I started doing stand up and I was getting personal and why it still scares me is that sometimes you connect with people and that's glorious and wonderful and feels amazing, but you're also completely exposed and I would get an emotional hangover from doing some stand-up shows. Yeah. Um, and not even, it, not even just because it was me telling stories about my life or my family or, or you know, um, anything like that, but even just talking about your belief system is really exposing. Right. And you're so open to criticism after that. Mm. Yeah. Um, but I hope that Defiance moves into something. Like I hope yes. that the energy for it um, – moves away from defiance a little bit, just knock the microphone talking as a professional comedian. Um, I hope it moves away from that. And I hope that it becomes more about, yeah, speaking truth to power, but also just about like connecting with an audience and making them forget mm. the outside world for a little while. I love that. I love when you're in that the midst of a show and there's right. all that laughter and you're like, nothing else exists but this yeah. moment. That's the best. And nothing else exists but all these strangers who might not have anything else in common in the real yeah. world. But right now, yeah. all the differences are aside and all these artificial things that we build up that says, I don't agree with you or I'm different to you. Like in this room right now, we're all enjoying the same thing and we're all laughing at the same thing and we've forgotten about all those same yeah. things. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's more than defiance. Yeah. But but that's almost community yeah, <laughs> yeah right yeah it's cool uh, i like it a lot um we've got to start to finish because you know yeah y- you've got to go and i've got to go buy a lamington and, stuff and you've got to eat a lamington i need one now yeah uh but there's some uh questions that i have towards the end oh, okay. that we have now got to and if i these are you know this is the you know we've done the mucking around now yeah, yeah. to get to the official questions right. what do you think happens when we die I have not listened to a full episode of your podcast. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, I knew before because you were like, I've just only listened to that. I was I've like, oh, this will come. This will yeah, come this is a, a surprise. genuine surprise. Yeah. I'll sit up. Which is good, by the way. Yeah. I prefer when people are surprised by the question. Yeah. But you've clearly thought about death. Like, you're, you know, you, you yeah. know, so... Um, what do you and you were raised Catholic, mm. so like that comes with all the baggage that you know of what you learn and what you yeah. Any of that still with you? Is there any Catholic stuff in there still in there? There's some persistent um, thoughts surrounding the Catholic stuff. Um, I don't think I'm religious anymore. Like I definitely grew up in that household, but I don't feel like I'm religious anymore. But I do not think that I am smart enough to know the answer 
officially. Yeah. Um, and oh I, no, I need an official answer. Okay, so well, I my need official you to lock in. I will. I will lock something answer. in for you. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, of course, absolutely. No one who I've asked this question to knows. <laughs> Here the is answer. what happens. No, yeah, it's not I like am, that. I am looking for what are your thoughts around that? Do right. you have a belief that you know? We're all energy and we become something else. Do you have a belief that we're, you know, dead and buried in the ground? Do you have a belief that how we behaved as human beings yeah. in some way relates to, you know, what happens to you after you die? Are you reunited with your loved ones? Like, yeah, you know, where in your thought process about all that are you? I feel like um, as someone who struggles to sleep quite a bit, yeah. the moment when you realize you're going to fall asleep mm. or that your brain starts to turn off. Uh, I know that this is what I feel is mm. just before I fall asleep. I have an immense relief that this is going to happen. Right. And I hope that when I die, that it mm. feels like that the just same. immense relief that it, <sighs> I'm about to exhale, <laughs> go into the darkness and that it's going to be okay. Yeah. So I, I hope that there is an okayness after yeah. death and you know, having lost people that are close to me in my life, I don't really feel like they go away. And so I hope that if, um, that after I die, that I get to hang out energetically mm. here, but just with the people that I want to hang around with. Like, I hope you don't ha- get stuck anywhere. Um, and, and I have a suspicion that that is what happens, that you that energetically hang around. There's no right or wrong answer. Yeah. You're looking at me like, I'm so like you're being judged or something like that. <laughs> oh, no, I feel like I should have thought about no, it more. No, the analogy that, like, you know, that I come back to, and I can't remember where I picked it up. I think maybe Pete Holmes's podcast, actually. I might have heard him say it first. Yeah. You know, and, and the, one of the ones that he uses is the idea of the the jar of air, right? Yep. So the air inside the jar is like, you know, your life and your spirit, your whatever inside your body. Yeah. You know, that it is. And then when you die, you know, the lid's off the jar and you just rejoin all the yeah. other air. Just as that air was out with that other air before the air was in the, the jar. Yes. You know, that it, you know, you go back to being, but you are still, you know. Yeah. You're just not encapsulated in, you know. In that space anymore. In that space anymore. Yeah. I, I mean, I love all these. We are never going to know. No. Or we may know, I guess, but too late to do the podcast. Yeah. Unless I do the <laughs> podcast with like a Ouija board or something. Which I am yeah. well up for. I'm very happy for somebody to, maybe someone in a coma or something, we could do some yeah. some sort of, or maybe I could get someone on who has died. Yeah, you could. There, there was a guy, we spoke about a guy the other night who was um, given uh, CPR for 45 minutes and came back to life. Yeah. Who was like legally dead and then came back yeah. to life. Maybe that's what I need. Yeah. I need to get someone who's been legally dead and see what they think. I think I have too much worry about f- doing stuff while I'm alive to yeah. worry too much about what's going to happen next. What um, if you were to die tomorrow, what would you be your biggest regret of something that you hadn't done? Um, I think finding the love of my life probably. Okay. So that's an important thing to Yeah, you. that's definitely yeah. an important thing for me. I was thinking about this the other day um, about the things that I would regret the most and someone said to me, oh, surely having not having kids. Mm. And I was like, oh, no, because I would fuck that up, mm. definitely. Um, Everyone does. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm evidence of that happening to my parents. Um, but no, I think, I think yeah, I think I, I, I do believe in great love mm. and I have felt it before, but I think not feeling it again before I die would be a tragedy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's nice. That's a nice answer. Yeah. And what does great love mean to you? Oh, you know, 
No, I don't know. It means different things to different people. Some people are looking for companionship. Some people are looking for great passion. Somebody, people are looking for someone who can support them. Yeah. Some, some people are looking for someone to support. Like it can be a combination of all those things. Yeah, I it think can, you know, like you know, but. I think that, you know, like, you know, you said you read a lot as a child. You're yeah. writing letters to your favourite oh, authors. Oh, totally. There's a, There's a romantic. Romance. Yeah. Yes. I think, yeah, it's definitely romantic love that I'm looking for. And I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to rescue anyone. I don't mm. want to be rescued. I want to find someone who's um, equally as messed up as I am and we can try and sort it out together. That's what I kind of think is the, is someone who meets you halfway and is facing the, the same direction. Yeah. I think that that's probably what it will look like. Or I hope it will anyway. Yeah. And you yeah. said that kindness has gone up the Massively, scale of things yeah. that you've looked for yeah. in a partner. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I think that um, I think that someone who looks out for you and who you look out for, but that you're not trying to kind of, yeah, the, the idea of rescuing or fixing or none of that appeals at all. I, I have no interest in that. Um, someone who like wants to have a good laugh and travel the world and this is getting funny in my head and I really am tempted to make jokes but I'm trying to also stay on topic yeah. well you know stay on topic yeah. because you never know who's listening <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny that people think that when you when you start to do, like doing more and more personal material yeah. people in the audience think that they know you and I've definitely had a lot of mothers say mm. oh you should meet my son and I'm like I almost definitely don't want to mm. um but almost definitely show me a photo almost definitely yeah show us a photo yeah come on um give me my number no don't um it's something that i'm so scared of so i I really want to yeah to get over that um what do you believe to be your greatest strength there is some switch in my head that uh i I think probably and now i'm gonna dispel it by not being able to answer quickly um i can respond quickly to things so I think my greatest strength is that. What would your friends say your greatest strength is? Would they say the same thing or would they say something else? Um, pretty reliable. Mm. I'm a pretty loyal friend. A, a lot of my friends I've known since I was five years old. So I think, yeah, they would say that. I hope. What about weakness? Uh, yeah, paperwork yeah um, inability to complete paperwork inability to complete paperwork um also i think i've got um <laughs> no nah, i'm not i'm not gonna go there I'll, I'll i'll go with paperwork yeah okay. yeah um if there is a skill that you could just get from somebody else it could be any sort of skill like you know you could play tennis like roger yeah, yeah. or whatever it doesn't matter or cricket what the like skill Brian is, but you can have you can have a skill from another person. What would you love to have? What skill would you love to have? I love the idea of being able to run really fast. Yeah. I dream about it. That's good. Yeah. And I know that's an Long achievable thing. Long distances or? Long distances. Yeah. 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 And what is it about it that, that is so exciting, do you think? Uh, I th- Like... I'm, I'm going to live to regret saying that, I think. But I just – I dream about running fast. I dream about that feeling of um, of weightlessness, of, of kind of like the mm-hmm. power behind it. Yeah. yeah, I think of just being – I'm not a terribly uh, athletic human and I just – that mm-hmm. life appeals to me. Or swimming fast, anything that's kind of like endurance-based. Right. Yeah. Yeah, okay. What would you do if you could have any other skill? I mean, I th- – <sighs> I would love to be fluent in other languages. Oh, yeah. 
I guess that's that would be the major one for me. Yeah. Because I love talking to people. Yeah. You know, like, you know, understanding, particularly talking to people who have different life experiences. Yeah. And so I think that the great thing would be if I could understand a whole bunch of different languages, it yeah. would just broaden the way that I understood the world because it's hard to truly understand mm. someone who has a genuinely different life experience unless you I think you can speak their language yeah because even in them having to learn how to speak your language they have assimilated into your world or your culture in a way that that means that you don't get you know even just not even talking to them like I would love the the capacity to listen if two people are having a conversation in a foreign language you know so that they know that they think they're in a I would love to be able to you know understand what is going on. Do you speak any and other languages? And no one's languages? ever asked me that before, by the way, when okay. I've asked them that. And that was just, I'm surprised by this answer. Okay, there you go. I didn't have any time to, I did not have any time yeah. to think about it. Yeah. And, and I'm surprised that I didn't say something like something else. Yeah. But it came out so quickly out, and yeah. easily when you well, asked me that. I, I can understand that yeah. because I don't speak any other, mm. do, you, do you speak any other languages no, at all? No, So no, I speak no. very, very little yeah. of a couple of other languages, like the smallest amount, yeah. mostly swear words and food um but there is a word in arabic labka which means it's kind of like a hassle to do something but it's not a direct translation for it and i cannot think i I know what that word means but i cannot tell you what it is in english and i and i think of it daily like oh that would be such a labka it comes to my head all the time because my mom and dad used to say it growing up um and so, yeah, that speaks to me, mm. being able to speak another language and having having meaning for something that you can't quite label. Plus good for my stand-up career. Really good. I could tour to a lot of different places. <laughs> yeah, I, I think, speak I a think whole bunch of different totally. Languages. I think Des Bishop nailed that. Yeah. He learned how to speak. That's right. Yeah, yeah, that's some toured. practical. Yeah. yeah, if I could speak the language of every country I went to, that oh. would just in itself really broaden my stand-up perspective. Yeah. Well, I think you should try. I don't think it's too late. <laughs> to, learn, to learn every language <laughs> Do possible. It. Or maybe you could just give yourself Okay, we don't need to go into your career advice, but I think it would be really funny to watch you learn a language What's and then Will do stand doing up. His, uh, <laughs> career these days? Trying to learn every language in the world. I'm trying to think. Could you call it like... Um, oh, like a I'm trying to think about of a, learning... Uh, is there... What a uh, Rosetta Stone, that's not a good will pun. There'd be, there'd be some sort of... Yeah, there's got to be a yeah, will pun. Yeah. I was going to say Italian, yeah. but that's yeah. not at all a will pun. Well, I've already done will communication, which yeah. would have been, you know, that would have been on brand. Anyway, I'll be thinking about this. I'll come back to you. Yeah. You know, <laughs> name, names for my show. Um, uh, I asked you about, uh, oh, yeah, so I asked you about weakness. I asked you about skill from uh, another person. Yeah. Oh, okay. Do you think you're a good person? Like, would you describe yourself as a good person? It's a hard question, isn't it's it? It's a hard question. Yeah. The stuff that goes on in my brain, this has come up heaps yeah. today for some yeah. reason. Um, the stuff that goes on in my head and the stuff that um, that I mm. outwardly um, expose is so different. Um, I've been reading a lot recently about intrusive morbid thoughts mm. and how um, mo- like a lot of people have them. Uh, they're not really called that anymore. Um, and they're these horrendous things. It's like a um, an evolutionary thing that your brain does where you react to the worst possible scenario that your brain comes up with the worst possible scenario i um uh, my therapist uh, and and she's right but um i I have a tendency to catastrophize so when i'm at my tiredest or my worst yes exactly my brain immediately 
The way that my brain works on stage where it can come up with a million ideas at the same time. Also, unfortunately, when I'm thinking about how bad a scenario will be, it can come up with a thousand ways of how bad it can be. So that's the same thing. And that's like there was a place for – I wish I had a reference so that this had some legitimacy, but um, there was a place for for anxious thinkers um, in times gone by because they would sit on the edge of the tribe and they would would forewarn what could happen. Um, There's not really that place anymore, like unless you can get a hold of it. it. It's such a problem but those sorts of intrusive thoughts when you're tired um they've especially like in the middle of a season so we're at the end of kind of Mm -hmm. a few months of doing something i i've just i'm so battling with that at the moment and uh so i I don't know i've never acted on it apparently if you that's you you're less likely to act on them the more that you have Mm -hmm. which is great um but i think i hope that i'm a good person i come from a long line of really good people um but I, I struggle with with staying positive. And do, I th- do you think that human beings are what they think or what they do? I think they're what they do. I, I have to hope that they are what they do, um, because if they're what they think, oh, this this brain that I've got is just. But it can also work the other way, right? Where, yeah. Whereas, like, people can behave in terrible ways, but think they're. Fantastic. Oh yeah, of course. Like you see that all the time as well. Yeah, People yeah, yeah. who think that they're the hero of the story, where yeah. the way they actually behave, you're like they're sociopaths. You are, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's <what> <laughs> and hey, we meet a few of those in comedy <laughs> we as well. Really so. do. I think it's safer to, to, to oh. for it to be the what you do instead of what you think, because you have horrible thoughts all the mm-hmm. time, or I do. Uh, uh, we, we're going to finish up, but this is the this is the final question that I'd mm-hmm. like to ask. Um, so I have a time machine. Yes. I don't, by the way. I should point what? that out. Unfortunately, one day, I mean, at the moment, this is an indie podcast. Okay. I, yeah, we, you couldn't even use the mic stand today because <laughs> uh, I couldn't fix it. So um, I don't have a time machine at the moment. And even if I did, I wouldn't recommend that anybody got in it with the skill Will we level go back to have. before I touched the I mic mean, stand well, and see if we... Hopefully, no. you know, my big fear is that, like, you end up fiddling with the connection and then <laughs> through the whole recording, there'll just be a little... <laughs> I haven't. I don't I think I have. Either. I think I've been pretty steady. There's been a couple of times where I've just looked at you and gone, just say something or not. But oh, that's no. me catastrophizing. Yes, no, yes. that's like that's me starting to go, you know, here's everything that could go wrong. Okay, and so it's possible no one will ever hear this no, podcast. Well, <laughs> no, now I'll have to because we've had this conversation, oh, no. if that has happened, it'd be very funny. No, let's not do no. that. I've been pretty steady. I'm gonna touch on wood okay. even though I don't really believe in superstitions. No, no, no. Why but not? this is What's another thing. This this is the yeah. superstitions and signs. Mm-hmm. I am constantly entertaining them and then constantly dispelling them. Like there's this game that goes on in my head all the time. Like I'm like, I'm not going to touch wood, but what harm would it do? In case it does work, I'll do it anyway. Doesn't hurt to touch the wood. Yeah. Doesn't hurt to throw the salt over your shoulder. No, but I'm not suspicious. No. But it couldn't hurt. I don't believe in any of that stuff, but I... You know, I'm not going to rule out any of it. No, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Is I don't, I don't even do it. I don't yeah. think I've ever thrown salt over my shoulder. No. I'm sure I've walked uh, under ladders. I all do. of that. I don't walk in under ladders. Okay. And I don't believe. No, again, but I don't believe. That, I don't believe yeah. there is any power in me walking under a ladder. But yeah. why fuck with it? Yeah. Why mess with that? <laughs> and why am I still thinking about it? That one time that I did. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't have a time machine. But okay. if I did have a time machine, this would be the rules of the time machine. Okay. You can go back to any point in your life and watch it or change it um or you can go back to a point in history and and you know observe it or be part of it or whatever but i prefer 
it, it be about your own life is my preference. But if you don't feel comfortable answering it about your own life, answer it yeah. about the world. Do people worry about the butterfly effect in this situation? Oh, no. So, the, well, okay. So <laughs> no, no one knows how time travel works. There yes. are two real theories about how time travel might work, which yep. is your back to the future version, which yep. is if you go back and change something, everything changes. Or there's the Marvel's Avengers Endgame version of time travel, which is that your as soon as you travel back in time, that yep. past becomes your future. So it can never undo the past because the past has already been. Yep. It just becomes... Yeah, that story now yeah, is part yeah, yeah. of your future. So, no, this is a comp- okay. This is uh, there's no um, there's no, no direct consequence. No of, consequences. Yeah. Okay, but you can change something that happened to you. Okay, uh, I'm not going to change anything in my life. Observe something that happened. I'm going to observe something. Yeah, okay. So I'm not going to change anything because mm. I worry too much about yeah. making another wrong decision. But I honestly, and I've never answered this question before, but this is the first thing that came to my mind. Mm is if I can be invisible, like if I can go back to this and there's no effect, I want to go to like early days Aretha Franklin performing and be in the back of those clubs because she was like a pretty revolutionary female performer who a lot of people, once they heard her sing, were like they she changed their ideas about, um, about black women and about um, black people in general. Uh, I would love to go and, and like that whole era though, but specifically I would, I would stand in the back of an Aretha Franklin concert and, and watch that. Good answer. Thanks. Yeah. A lot of people say that. No. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I would hate it if that was an unoriginal thought because I just imagine, surprised myself. Could you imagine oh. though? If the, it's weird how often people say <laughs> Aretha Franklin. It just keeps coming up. I think that would be amazing. Yeah, I get that. So when were you introduced to Aretha Franklin then? When did you discover like, you know, this story about her and understand how powerful her story was? I feel like I've just, you know, you get asked a lot of questions about women in history and 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 I feel like I've come across her story a number of times mm-hmm. and she, she's pretty persistently coming up I used to read a lot about Harriet Tubman and the and the Underground Railroad and yeah. just all of these kind of like badass like uh, very actively incredible women um, and yes yeah, for some reason she I can't remember the first time I ever heard that story about her but about people campaigning to have her, I think um, Marilyn Monroe said that if she could play in a certain club, she would sit in the front row for like a week and did so and the club thrived and so they had to have her on stage. Um, but she had to be able to walk through the front door. And like that's things like that. Like could you imagine being in a room when that happens? I think that would be electric. Have right. you answered the question? Uh, I no, know I keep throwing it back to you. You can't keep throwing it back All to right. me. We've already done one of those Okay, today. fine. People, people like to I'm ask me so my own curious. questions, but then it ruins the... Yeah, fair. You know, I'm here to ask the questions. All right. I'm, I'm not here to I'm answer I'm going to start them. my own podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you very much for doing this. Thanks for having it's me, It's been well. great fun.